Welcome to the Texas VC Podcast. Today, I've got my good friend, JR, from Station Houston. Good morning, Aziz. Good morning. Now, how do I say your last name? Is it real, reality? So, you know, growing up in New York, it's, it's funny. I, I grew up in this Italian neighborhood, and you would think that everyone would be able to say my name right. But I, I would get called John Real or John Really, but it's, it's reality. Reality. Yeah. If I'm walking into the station one day, I walk up to you. I go, hey. Hey, JR. Hey, reality. What, you know, one of those two. But I'd say most people usually just call, hey, JR. Hey, JR. <laughs> hey, Aziz. <laughs> so, JR is here. And what's your official title, JR? I'm the managing director and flight director of Station Houston. We'll get into what Station Houston is and what he's building here in Houston. But as is typical here on this podcast, we're going to spend some time to get to know you a little bit better. Still, yeah, let's dig in. So, JR, what, you said you're from New York. From New York, so I grew up, uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Grew up in Staten Island. And then uh, went to school up in Massachusetts. Went back to New York after graduating college and then moved to Houston February in 2000. And you went to a very specific college. I did. I went to Babson College. Babson College. And for those of you who don't know, man, Babson College kind of wrote the book and owns entrepreneurship. I remember the, the, the tagline was Babson means business. This was back in the early 90s when I went there. This is their focus. This is their box of what they focus on. So in Houston, we now have a school, the University of Houston, that claims to be the top-ranked entrepreneurship school in the nation. No what do you feel about that? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was in business school, everyone always talked about Babson all the time. A juggernaut, if you will. Yeah, you, you know, so the school was started. I won't go through the whole history of the school, but the entrepreneurship school is the flagship uh, program. I, I can tell you real quick. In 1995, I was in the second year pilot of what was called the freshman management experience. We had to start a company. So I would say the entrepreneurship program there is just, it's really interesting. I, I saw a couple of curriculum changes and the ability to rapid prototype and implement, I thought was was, was pretty astonishing. Looking back now, it's not necessarily as a student way back when, but looking back now, what they're able to do, it's, it's pretty amazing. So you, you did the whole Babson experience, and I'm assuming you then immediately went and just started a bunch of companies? <laughs> if it was only that that was the case. No, so when I got out of school, my, my, my dream when I was a kid was either to play for the Yankees, and I'm not that athletically inclined, <laughs> so that didn't happen, or go work on Wall Street uh, like my dad, and that's what I wound up doing. So when I got out of school, I was working at Morgan Stanley in, uh, in Midtown, New York City. And so what ended up bringing you down here to Texas? So I know this is usually like where the, uh, the part of the segment from listening to the podcast with Hassam and Jeff, whether, whether this is the love or money or, or work <laughs> part of, of what brought you to Houston. My, mine was a little different. I may be breaking trends here, but I moved here for a job. Uh, I, I, I had a girlfriend at the time, so it was a, it was, it was a broken love. Uh, <laughs> oh. but it was, I know, but I, but I moved here for, uh, for a job. Really for a career. So you uh, moved here for a career. Yeah. And, and, and what did that career com consist of? So I was at Morgan Stanley. I was in the private wealth management group. We were, we were managing money for high net worth individuals. I was up in a tech and reporting group up in New York City. Now, you left Morgan Stanley. Left Morgan Stanley. Uh, with my team, we started a company. Founding member. I wouldn't call myself a co-founder. 
of Avalon Advisors, which is a wealth management shop here in town. Manage about five billion dollars mm-hmm. for you know a bunch of families throughout the state and beyond uh, in the country. After Avalon, I went over to J.P. Morgan and worked there for a year and a half, and and really I had this idea that I wanted to go work in a family office. I, I worked on the, the sell side, on the buy side, with the equities, with fixed income, mm-hmm. with some other structured credit products, and I thought, well, this will round out my my knowledge and expertise to go do and work with my clients. Well, it turned out that that wasn't either wasn't what God had in store for me, or, <laughs> or the virus really uh, set in, and I had a different plan on what I was going to do next. So, so I met a bunch of guys here in town, actually through someone I worked with at Avalon. They were working on a project development company focused on sugarcane-based ethanol production in Brazil. Turned out not to be like a glorious, you know, exit, but it was a amazing experience of, of learning about agriculture, engineering, figuring out how to model and finance a $200 million project. Uh, it was, it was it, you know, for being in my late 20s, I think I was at the time, it was an amazing experience. Fantastic. And then after that? So after that, I wound up going to work with the, naturally went to go work with the British government in their economic development office as their head of trade and investment. This is UKTI. Gray Hancock is a, another alum. Yeah, uh, Bob, good friend of ours. Rob Toker as well. Okay. And then after UKTI? So naturally, I went to go work with a software company here in town. It was a machine learning-based software company called BRS Labs. Left, and I, I can't remember when it was, but it was right before a World Cup. So I remember taking that month off so I could watch the <laughs> World Cup and then started working with the company where I think I was there for about three years. And so describe to me what that revenue ramp was like over at BRS Labs. Yeah, so it was pretty uh, interesting. So when I got there, we were still working to commercialize the, pro- the product. So it was focused on the CCTV space with the idea, how do you watch a thousand monitors when you have one person? Mm-hmm. Uh, we went from a few hundred thousand dollars in, in proof of concept type uh, revenues to nearly $10 million in, in about two years. So so what went wrong? What happened? Wow, that's a, that's an episode in and of itself. <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I had a different idea of where the company should go um, versus uh, my CEO. I had put forward a plan about how I think we could get there. We ultimately had a different vision for the company, so I resigned. So you basically said, you know, screw you guys, I'm going home. No, it wasn't a screw you guys. It was just more of like, that's that's great if you want to keep doing that, but I don't think <laughs> that that's the right plan. So you guys could do that. I'm going to go do something different. So it didn't buy into the vision of the CEO. No, and uh, you know, so I recently, uh, I think in a, you know, it's been in the presses here locally. Uh, BRS, uh, there was a change in control. Companies now called Giant Gray. And I think that some of the direction they're going in, I have a lot more alignment with them. (laughs) (laughs) So left BRS Labs. Left BRS Labs. You know, so when I was at Morgan and Avalon, had a longstanding relationship with the folks at the McCombs family. You may know something about. Yeah, I went to the Red McCombs College of Business at UT Austin. Amazing family, amazing uh, group who who runs uh, McCombs Enterprise, McCombs Partners. And they had launched a venture fund uh, that was focused primarily at its onset in the automotive industry through the family office in partnership with an entrepreneur named Chase Frazier. So his operating partner with McCombs uh, Partners and 
went into their first company called EcoDuel as their uh, EVP of sales and marketing. And then you were like the Mr. Wolf, if you've watched Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I, I was asked to do some different things. You know, part of it was commercialize the product and take it to market. Which was really interesting. So Aziz, this was in the natural gas trucking space. So naturally, right, coming from uh, the British government and yeah. renewable energy projects and managing money and, and machine learning software, the natural progression would go into dual fuel conversion systems for heavy duty trucks. But we, um, we wound up being very specific and targeted, worked with a lot of great trucking fleets, you know, which is a really fascinating business. We worked back with Clemson University as far as, as part of developing the product. Uh, but then we had challenges in getting the product commercialized, we had challenges as far as extending the runway. So I had moved into uh, a managing director or interim CEO role and helped put together a letter of intent from a, another group to take the company forward. Wow. So no outcome. It was, you know, it was, uh, I, I viewed my job as, as you would call it, the wolf was uh, it was a, it was about a five week sprint really from when uh, the board asked me to to take that that plan forward and they were really supportive we had a great CFO the team like really galvanized and you know we were running on fumes so we put together a deal and then left it to the board to uh, finalize and complete the deal. Now you did this not just once. So then after that worked with another company which of course naturally was in the multifamily housing space. Focus on managed procurement systems. So, to look at both of those experiences, what are the common threads here that you would see as you parachuted into these companies? You know, I, I think that most most of the times, and this is probably consistent with many things, we see the tactical outcome that's not happening, and the, you know, the real the real problem set usually comes from facing more inward and looking at the people dynamics and how you're managing both alignment expectations and those people. And that trinity usually encompasses where the problem set is more as to why you're having the lack of sales or why you're not getting to commercialization or so. So it's usually focused on a tactic. When I found that going into these companies in this, you have a raw view, you don't know the industry mm -hmm. and you're able to see things a little differently than those who've been so in it for, uh, for a while. So you did those two stints and then you, you came back to Houston. So yeah, so I was essentially living on the road. My wife now, my fiance at the time had like a part-time fiance. So I'd see her on the weekends. And where did she live? She was here in Houston. So you did come here for love. So I came back for love. <laughs> let's, let's, let's spin it up like that. Just, at that point, I started just doing some advisory work and angel investing. Uh, Help uh, with a couple of companies I met where I'd work with the founder to put yeah. together their seed, run, seed round and get the company up and running. And then you got tied to Station Houston. This is a this is a good drug, I think, in that regard. Uh, so, so you know, obviously, no Blair through the Rice Alliance ecosystem here in Houston for so long. Blair being my partner at Mercury Fund. Yeah, and Blair being a co-founder here at Station Houston, uh, as as we call him, he's the godfather of the of the Houston startup <laughs> ecosystem. So, uh, met Blair, met Emily Keaton actually through one of my board members at Ty Houston, where we had coffee. And Emily started telling me about this project and this movement. And I just raised my hand and said, this is, this sounds important. This sounds like something we need to do here. I've been having challenges as far as accessing people in the ecosystem, being in a, in a startup, working with early, early stage tech companies. 
but not necessarily knowing the easy way to connect and have different types of discussions with folks. So how does the station solve those problems? Yeah, so the station, think of a station as like the open access point. So if you look around the country, Aziz, and you, and you know this better than most, uh, you know, both through like your studies with when you're at Northwestern and being a fellow, as well as being a VC, throughout the country, uh, you have all these innovation hubs and mm-hmm. these, these places where each one of these cities, whether it's been via entrepreneur or some kind of collaboration with the, the city and an entrepreneur or foundation, they've created density. And the way we, we're looking at this problem set is Houston needs to build high-tech startup density because the outcomes and ripple effect of that not only build a vibrant startup community, but it touches the entire community at large. So if you take, for example, you know what's happened in Austin or what's happened in Chicago, it's not only been all of this increase in venture capital investment, but you're seeing these large Fortune 1000 type companies relocate, make bigger investments. They need to be around the people that they want to hire and the people that they want to do business with. And that's why this is so important. So why can't this happen on its own? Why can't cities like Houston and Dallas and Austin facilitate density through coffee shops? Yeah, you know, coffee shops probably like been the gateway uh, to some extent about changing work habits and how people think about that. But, you know, we've, we've taken the view and I think each market has their own individual identity and needs. Mm-hmm. Ours lacks density. So instead of just saying, hey, let's go create an accelerator, we, we need to build this open community platform that not only invites and cultivates a community, but also brings together the experts and mentors and investors to be part of that and to help educate and help help these young entrepreneurs, help some of these entrepreneurs who aren't as young, they're, they're older than we are, but help them in their way as far as how they're gonna create these businesses. So where does the money come from to get this off the ground? We're, right now we're coming to you from the station studios. There's this building here, it's yeah. got services, you guys arrange office hours, you have a staff. Who pays for all this stuff? So right now to date, it's been a bootstrapped effort. It's been uh, the efforts of a few of us who are part of the co-found, uh, co-founders or founding team who've been putting forward the capital. Eventually we'll do a capital raise to, to properly continue to accelerate our growth. I think we've been taking our own medicine and practicing what we preach. We've gone out, we've been moving very fast. We've been addressing market demand and I think what the market demand has told us by virtue of the 50 plus mentors that we have and the 66, I believe, members that we have to date is that we're servicing a, a, a real need of the community. So the idea is to continue to grow, continue to build scale so we can bring that same type of density to the city. There's, there's essentially two types of members. There's the folks who have a dedicated workspace and this is where they want to work every day. And then there's others who come here to work, you come here to access mentor, office hours. Are the, the real value proposition in our mind is the community that you have, both through these these collisions that happen organically, as well as how, if, if I'm an entrepreneur or, or I'm an aspiring entrepreneur, where else can you have literally a schedule to just point and click, I want to go visit with disease during mentor hour, mentor okay. office hour, and have that be served up to you. So we believe that we're providing a valuable and needed resource. And hopefully this serves as a platform to inspire 
the city, just like what the folks at TMCX are doing. And we'll continue to work with them and work together so we can really build out this vision that we have for the city of Houston. In a previous episode, we talked to Trey Bowles over at the deck. Yeah. They're structured as a nonprofit. Yeah. And they get some funding from the city of Dallas. Yeah. Do you, do you have any ties like that here? We don't. So far, you know, to date, the folks at the mayor's office have been very supportive of what we're doing. The folks at the GHP have been very supportive. And we'll continue to work with them to see how we could be more interconnected and mm-hmm. what type of tools and resources they have to provide mm-hmm. to take this forward. I mean, I mean, Aziz, I think you know this, but our, our real vision for Station is, is a Houston story. This isn't just about like, hey, let's build one great company. But this is really a transformation of our community. Mm -hmm. And this is the idea of like, our vision is why not build a Texas medical center for tech companies and really revitalize and and add another layer to our community that intersects with our energy industry or healthcare industry or space and where the space industry continues to go. But at all points, software and software enabled startups or software enabled companies intersect to give those companies scale and a competitive advantage. Let's talk a little bit for our listeners who don't know about the Texas Medical Center. Can you just give like a quick description of what it is and why it's so different than what we see in the rest of the country? Yeah, so you know, it's interesting. Eric Halverson, who's the director of TMCX, talks about this coming here from Boston, which is he didn't have any idea what the Texas Medical Center was when he was there. But the TMC is a collection of, I believe, a bunch of research hospitals and academic centers and the entire community of, of, of healthcare in, in Houston that's located, you know, just off, uh, off of downtown. So I believe they have astonishing number of beds and yeah. research dollars uh, that go into it. So it's really a collection and collaboration between all those institutions. The way I think about it is by a few of its attributes. If you look at it, it's got a skyline about the size of Austin. You yeah. could, you could see it when you're landing. You're yeah. like, what city is that? And you're like, that's the Texas Medical Center. Yeah, the Texas Medical Center. It's got a skyline equivalent to like Austin, Texas. Yeah. It's the only place on the planet where you have two medical schools directly across the street from each other. Yeah. It's got dozens of hospitals. 60-something institutions, I want to say. Yeah, and you know, I think the number of beds there, I think Eric mentioned this at one point, it would be like three or four, five X the amount that are in an area like Boston. Yeah, yeah and it's all healthcare all the time. Yeah, and, and, what they, and what I think that, you know, through through Bobby Robbins and his team and what they've done really well is they've, they've started their movement, they've created a platform, and now they're bringing in other groups like, they just recently announced something with Apple and AT&T and Johnson & Johnson. And so they're creating this community from the outside in, which I think is awesome. I think it would be great for our city. You are trying to build something like that for tech. Yeah, and I think that like it's a great overlap in, a, in an area where we'll work together with Eric and his team over at TMCX. But yes, we believe that to, to steal the quote, software is eating the world, that continues to be a theme. And that if we could build this community that people know how to access, people could go with expertise or develop skills to build these types of companies, that that will be a a competitive advantage for Houston and just a really fun community to be to be involved with. Is there a vertical focus within tech? Tech is a big umbrella term. Tech is a big umbrella term. Uh, no, we've got entrepreneurs here focused from healthcare to energy to ed tech to cybersecurity to consumer products to legal tech, animal tech, art, 
it's it really goes across the board. There there's some fascinating folks who are here in Houston. I mean, I think it's interesting is these we read these statistics about like what are the demographics of Houston. If if you come into Houston on no given day, you'll hear a bunch of languages that are spoken. You'll see like people from all over the world, and I think that that's just cool. So. If you're not into creativity or if you're not into like a vibrant place or you're not into trying to solve interesting problems, you should stay away from the station. <laughs> but, but otherwise, it's a really great place, we believe, to want to come and spend time and get to know other people who are not only here in a community, but continue to come through the community. So let's dig in on this point a little bit. Sure. You're kind of saying, I want there to be density for startups. Before you, we're actually in the same building that Kirk tried to do this in, yeah. um, focusing on energy. So that's a very different approach. Taking a focus on one very specific vertical versus going very broad. Yeah. Can, can you walk through that decision process that you guys went through? Yeah. So, you know, when we looked at this and we think that what Kirk did and Surge really gave everybody a glimpse of what's possible. During the cohorts for Surge, I think that that ignited a certain level of enthusiasm and excitement from the startup community. I know you were a mentor. I was a mentor. We were you know, engaged and involved in what Surge was doing. I think where we're different is even in its most raw components is, is still episodic where it's going to be about a 12 or 13 week type program. And then there's a then what? Mm-hmm. And what we saw with the then, then what is some companies would stay in Houston. Some companies would wind up moving away from Houston or they would go back from where they were. And so there wasn't this continuous platform that would provide support. So our thesis and where we believe this is different is if we could provide this continuous platform, then that provides a bed for whether we do it or others from the outside in come in and build launch accelerators and put these other programs that might be able to provide vertical specific or industry specific type resources and help to help really accelerate the growth of some of these companies. So we look at it as that's, that's a necessary piece in the future, but we just believe that we need this continuous core piece to build community first. Because even with Surge, you had to be a member of that cohort. Here, it's a different requirement as far as how to access this community. Yeah, anyone can be a member, basically. Is If you're working on something where we believe there, there's alignment, then we want to have you in this community because we believe that the collisions that will happen will result in some type of exponential effect. So you're essentially curating a community of potential collisions. Yeah, if you think about it in its most raw form, and, I, and and this is something we we need to do some work on, but I believe that when you have unintended collisions that happen, or you're able to connect people that otherwise wouldn't have had any reason to connect or know to do so, I think that there's usually some type of multiplier effect from that. So I have an idea. I want to get a startup running in Houston. That's great. Let's Aziz yeah. come over to station. <laughs> okay. What is the process? So you apply to be a member, uh, and usually that will entail uh, submitting some information about yourself, about your vision, about what what problem set you're trying to work on, and then visit with our team. We'll get an understanding of what we believe if we can help. And in that, we usually then will work with uh, our members to come here and be part of the community. Now, do you guys invest in the company or anything like that? Kind of like what Capital Factory does in Austin? No, at this point we don't. And what we have done is we looked at this across the board before we launched and said, you know, what are all the barriers for mm-hmm. an entrepreneur? Being that we're all entrepreneurs, we've all had different ventures. 
and we try to take away every single barrier that we can think of. So we don't ask for equity. We don't ask people to sign long-term commitments. We don't ask them for any IP rights or anything of the nature. We don't restrict them about what hours they could be here. And we've really thought through how do we start from really 1.0 in Houston to build this density. So Mm -hmm. memberships work where you sign on, you become a member, and if you don't feel that this is the right place for you or you hit a a bunch of success Mm -hmm. and you're going to hire five people and this is no longer makes sense economically or we don't have enough room for you, then you have a 30-day out. So we've made this as entrepreneur friendly that we could we could think through as being entrepreneurs ourselves. And so you've already got members, you're up and running. What's next? Well, eventually, <laughs> Galactic Aziz, we're working to scale our capacity. So at, you know, we've been very open that Surge has always been uh, our MVP, our place where we'll launch, and then work towards a larger real estate deal really with the idea of how can we build tens of thousands of square feet of capacity. If you've got a vision to be the Texas Medical Center, I think you've got to have some of these audacious views of here's how we get there. So this is an awesome place. This is a great place for creativity and we're we're lucky and blessed to be here. But, you know, 56, 5,800 square feet isn't enough to fulfill our vision. We are so excited about having over 60 members already in just about our hundredth day. So, so the state of the union address should be coming soon, but, <laughs> but we're, I think we're at 66 members as of this morning. And so the idea here is, is get bigger, get to scale and try to become that center of gravity for tech startups. Yeah. Continue to do so and continue to work back, you know, with the corporates, you know, for them to, to, to be communicative of like the problem sets that are really interesting to them and where they need help. Uh, to continue to build, you know, we mentioned before, there's about 54 mentors to continue to build that avenue. And, and, you know, one of the things we've done here is as we get new members and we find out, like, what are the specific needs that they have, we reach into the community and try and find mentors that would match up well for them. Mm-hmm. So we really become an extension of, of the team, but it's to continue to build that scale so we could really move the needle for what that means as a community and the ideas and the and, and the inspiration really for other folks who are experts who may be looking at maybe facing losing their job over the next year or they have mm-hmm. and what will be a resource for them to reignite restart or kind of like myself take a different career path yeah because um, it's all right to do so and it's really a lot of fun and i think if you could find something that you're deeply passionate about it changes your whole outlook in, in your everyday life. Very cool. Well, you're nothing if not enthusiastic about the future of the station. <laughs> it's exciting, Aziz. Uh, I, I mean, I, I love coming here every morning, so it's a it's a great place, and I hope that we continue. I continue to meet more people in in, in town through uh, through our doors. So, what's your URL? Uh, stationhouston.com. Stationhouston.com. Very simple. So definitely check that out. Say hi to Jr. Go, hey, JR, when you walk in. <laughs> Please do, and, and, and come and often. Think about Station Houston as you try to start a startup here in Houston, Texas. Yeah, thanks, Aziz. I appreciate you being here. Always welcome. Come again.